0: Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon, actually. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to the February edition of the construction uh, webinar series brought to you by uh, Lois Law Firm. Um, This is a uh, we we do a different topic every month. It is a webinar that's focused on uh, workers' compensation claims arising out of construction accidents. Every month I try to do a different topic, just a brief overview of that topic and um, just to give you an understanding of how uh, construction claims work in New York and what we do and our recommendations to best defend them. Um, my name is Tashia Rasul. I am a partner here at Lois Law Firm. Uh, I handle um, construction claims only. It's my specialty. My team handles construction claims. Uh, we have a special practice designated for it. I'm also the author of the firm's uh, construction handbook. Um, It's a plain English guide for handling construction claims. It talks about the laws, the issues, pretty much um, a written version of the webinar. So if you'd like a copy, please uh, send me an email and I can get you a hard copy, or we also have PDF copies. So welcome to my webinar. It's um, this month we are going to talk about New York's labor law and the types of accidents uh, milestones in labor law cases and trends that we see in uh, these um, labor law cl- claims or the construction claims in general. This is not um, the area that I practice in. I do the workers' compensation end of the wor- um, of, of the construction claims, but I am very familiar with the labor law because I work with um, my general liability uh, counterpart very frequently in collaborating and coming up with strategies for these cases. Okay. So let's get into it. Uh, Very briefly, the laws that we're talking about, um, particularly uh, the most popular ones that we see in these construction claims, labor law section 200, these deal with uh, tools and dangerous conditions. And this law, um, so so where the accident is caused by the manner in which are the tools that the contractor uses to perform the the work, causes the injury, uh, this law would apply. And also where the accident is caused by a dangerous condition on the job site. So it might be something that's fixed or not fixed, but it's um, maybe a hole or a bump or a hump or something like that. It must be shown that the contractor had authority to dictate the work that was being performed. This is for the liability portion of it. And it must also be shown that the contractor either created the dangerous condition or knew about the condition and did not remedy it. On the workers' compensation side, this generally does not matter. The fact is that an accident occurred on the job site, and that's all the board and the law judge will be paying attention to. However, since, as you know, the workers' compensation claim works um, goes so quickly, when we're litigating on our end, we try to get as much information as possible through testimony. Um, That would potentially help the general liability side in determining whether these facts have been met. The next law, this is probably the most popular one I've seen. It's uh, Labor Law Section 240. Uh, This is the one that deals with uh, elevation heights and falls from thereof. Uh, It's commonly referred to as the scaffold law, but it does not always have to involve a, a scaffold. It can involve a ladder or a couple of buckets. I've seen they've brought a, a labor law 240 claim uh, in in such situations. I've even seen it like a step stool, anything that they are claiming to be a height. If the claimant allegedly fall off of it, they would file their claim under alleging a violation of labor law section 240. This uh this one involves um this one applies when some type of an elevation is involved in the accident. The contractors are required to provide workers with safety devices and measures um, to protect them from the elevation-related accidents and falls and injuries. And the claimants or the plaintiff is oftentimes alleging that the employer or the contractor did not provide the necessary um, safety devices. However, a lot of times we've seen cases where they are provided with them, they just don't utilize them. So again, it becomes fact-specific. And again, on the workers' compensation side, we, um, we try to get as many facts as possible to help develop the factual um, component of the civil claim. Labor Law Section 241, this contains specific provisions for construction, demolition, and excavation in job sites. Um, it addresses falls and cave and how job sites must be arranged to protect workers. We do see some of this, but not as much as the Labor Law 240 claims, uh, generally because the demolition phase, um, the, the, the grand majority of the cases that we work with are the OSIPS, and they don't cover the demolition phase, so we don't see a lot of these kinds of claims in particular. But again, in the situations where we are seeing them, we are taking the testimony, we are doing investigation to see what happened, where it happened. Um, even though the workers' compensation judges don't really you know, um, let us develop the record in depth as we would like to to get all of the facts, because if it happened on the job site, you know, if it happens while the claimant was at work, it would be compensable. Um, but we have found different ways of trying to get the claimant to admit to what exactly happened, and it's not only through testimony, but asking the IME doctor to ask the claimant what exactly happened or asking the claimant's doctors in depositions, uh, you know, what did the claimant report happen? So that way we're all on the same page as to the facts of what happened on the um, on the job site. So the civil milestones we should be asking about, um, the milestones are very, very important because This is the time when you should be reporting something to your workers' compensation attorney or your workers' compensation adjuster in order to collaborate to come up with a strategy for the next milestone. So we always focus on these milestones as um, kind of a trigger, right? When these things happen, we should be saying, oh wait, let me see what's going on in the workers' compensation claim. So the statute of limitations, um, not really a milestone to pay attention to because the claimant's bar is on top of it. They file their claims within the statute of limitations for the most part, and then everything follows after that. For the public entity, um, for the public entities, the claimant, the plaintiff, must give notice within 90 days of the accident. If they do not give notice within 90 days of the accident, they would be barred from uh, filing a claim against the entity. Also, for public entities. Um, this, uh, the 58 hearings take place. Uh, these are essentially like depositions, but they are done um, in the very beginning. They they're apply only for public entities, and it's a way to get information from the plaintiff about um, the accident, what he's claiming, his background, and so forth. And like I said, it's essentially a deposition. The attorneys are present in the room. But since this is usually the first time testimony is taken in these claims, especially when the, where the public entities are involved, it is important to have to to ensure that your workers' comp adjuster and attorney have these transcripts so they can li- use it to litigate uh, the workers' compensation claim. A lot of times, the information in these fifty here fifty H uh, hearing transcripts. Um, contain information about the accident that contradict what the claimant is testifying to in the workers' compensation side, so we're able to use it as a sworn statement to pursue fraud in the workers' compensation claim. So it's something that's very important. Um, We generally uh, are always asking for the 58 transcripts, but our clients are so used to us asking for it that when it happens, they or the general liability counsel would send it over to us automatically. Uh, The complaint, the answer, the bill of particulars. So the complaint is, you know, what the claimant uses to file his claim. He's alleging that um, he sustained an accident on the job site, and it includes the parties that are being sued um, and the claims that he's making. The answer is the defendant's response, so the the contractor, the owner, the, the city, the town, whoever's responding, whoever the defendant, they would file this document to respond to it. The answer usually denies all of the allegations, which is the way it should be. And then the bill of particulars is, um, it's a very in-depth document, and this is where we usually look to to get uh, information about what he's claiming in terms of his actual injuries and the surgeries he's obtained. Um, uh, it, it, it usually details all of these things, and this is something that when we are asking for documents from the general liability side, this is definitely something we ask for. We also have access to Web Civil. We do the search. We search the docket ourselves, and as soon as we see it, we pull it, save, into, save it into our file, and use it for litigation. I'll tell you, the, um, this, uh, this past year, the last quarter, we actually prevailed on claim. We got it disallowed um, by using the complaints and the bill of particulars in the claimant's third-party claim. And the reason the claim was disallowed was the complaint and the bill of particulars were inconsistent, and those were inconsistent with the claimant's testimony in the workers' compensation claim. And the judge said, I don't even know what happened here. I can't believe the claimant, his legal documents and the civil side are inconsistent and incomplete, and he's testifying under oath to something that's completely different. So he's not credible. I don't believe an accident happened, and the claim was disallowed. It's currently on appeal. Um, I we have a very good case, a very strong case for prevailing on appeal. Um, I'll be reporting on that later this year when the decision has come down. But it's just an example of how we use these documents and these milestones um, to litigate our workers' compensation claims. Depositions. So um, in both cases against public entities and private entities, depositions of The plaintiff of non-party witnesses, of doctors, all of this take place at sworn statements. We have been successful in using depositions as well as the 58 transcripts to pursue fraud. And this is based on the inconsistencies between one sworn statement and another sworn statement. And um, last year, we got about three to four wins using uh, these deposition transcripts in the workers' compensation claim. Again, another good reason why it's important to give it to your um, GL adjuster or your attorney and let it be part of the strategy for the entire claim. Mediations, so after this webinar today, I am attending the mediation. Um, uh, The mediation is for the general liability claim, but I will be there to ensure that the facts are correct to ensure um, the claimant's attorney or the plaintiff's attorney is presenting um, accurate facts to not only to um, the GL attorney, but most importantly to the mediator, is because he is going to be the one who is going to help distill the facts and, um, you know, create a common ground so the parties can come to a point where um, settlement they can, they can reach reasonable settlement, right, which is all based on the facts. I will also be there with the lien waiver authority, you know, um, if the client has uh, decided after crunching in numbers whether they're going to do a full lien waiver or a partial lien waiver, I have that information, I have the information about the lien, I will be there on behalf of the workers' compensation carrier helping to negotiate the settlement. So it's extremely, extremely important that you let your um, workers' comp attorney know when the is coming up, give them advance notice so they can prep the file, they can put aside the time, and they can attend the mediation also. IMEs and expert reports. Um, the, the the IMEs that are done in the general liability side, they're usually more detailed, more thorough, than the ones that are done in the workers' compensation side. Um, we generally uh, look to those to see what the doctors are saying. Um, even though we have our own IMEs, it gives us um, ideas of how to come up with uh, tactics um, for our dep- for depositions with uh, our doctors or the claimant's doctors. Um, we get ideas for questions to be asked or even ideas for uh, what our IME doctors should be asking because the claimant may be reporting something differently to the general liability IME side. Um, expert reports, we have used um, the rehabilitation um, reports from the general liability side when it comes to LWEC in our side because the components of LWEC loss of wage earning capacity, which is something that's addressed at the time of permanency in the workers' compensation claim, we look at the not only the medical impairment but the <clears throat> excuse me, the functional and vocational capability. So when we get these, um, these functional rehabilitative reports on the general liability side, It's based on what the claimant is going there and reporting. So, excuse me. So, um, we are able to use that on our side and say, well, the claimant is reporting that he can do this. That expert is finding that he can do X, Y, and Z. So, on our end, there's no way we can find that the claimant has a permanent total disability. So, something we always ask for, um, generally, by the time we get to permanency, they, there has not yet been one in the general liability side, but as soon as you have one, be sure to send it over to your workers' comp your, um, workers comp attorney or adjuster and try to and see if they can use it as part of the overall strategy. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the trends we've been seeing in the construction claims in general. And these are the things I'm seeing from the, from the workers' compensation side. Um, The claimants are continuing to use the workers' compensation claims to maximize the value of their uh, general liability claim. How do they do this? They undergo as much treatment as they can. They include as many body parts as they can, and they undergo as many surgeries as their bodies can take. Believe it or not, but it's a reality of these cases. Their attorneys are convincing them, their doctors are convincing them, the attorneys and the doctors are working together to convince them, oh, just another cut, just another snippet, it's going to increase the value of your claims by hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the claimants, unfortunately, are doing that just to get the money, even when the surgeries are not really medically necessary or causally related. Our job, obviously, is to fight it. We have had several good wins in denying surgeries and additional body parts, um, but a lot of times when the claimant undergoes it anyway, they still use it on their general liability side, whether or not it was covered under the workers' compensation side. Um, We are seeing more fraudulent claims. Um, it's, it's, It's something that's really risen last year, and the good thing is the judges are actually paying more attention to these claims also. Anytime we have a construction claim and we raise fraud, the judges just drop everything and they are more keen um, when it comes to the facts of the claim and getting the the matter on the calendar to try these cases. Um, So our recommendation, continue to pursue fraud. I mean, on on the plaintiff's end, the word is spreading. You know, everyone sustained an accident even when they didn't sustain an accident and filing a claim. Their attorneys are telling them how to... um, Include information on the on, on, on the C three there, and and the things to say in court and how to testify, and it's 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 really frustrating and it's really um it, it you know it, it really is a disservice to the um, the claimant or the plaintiff when their attorneys are forcing them to do these things, but honestly at the end of the day it's all about the money and our job is to really contest that to save our clients money. Um, So, we have been seeing more fraudulent claims. Our recommendation would be to uh, increase surveillance um, and also increase investigation of the claims. Um, There's also been more requests to put off fraudulent uh, fraud findings because there's been more fraudulent claims. And this is because the fraud findings were hurt, the general liability claims. I mean, there's a lot of times I've said to counsel, well, you know what? Stop bringing the fraudulent claims, right? Because we're not going to put it off. We have a good case. We know the judge is going to make a finding. We are going to pursue the finding. If you know, if you cared so much about your general liability claim, you would have counseled your claimant better, or you know, uh, prep them for, um, for for the workers' compensation claim. Tell them that they're not supposed to doing things that they're claiming that they they, they, they cannot do because that's just the reality, right? Um, they are um, they're, they're filing the claims, the claimant is uh, talking to their co-workers, um, the, the co-worker has given them the details about the accidents, and then the claimants are going and telling their attorney, well, you know, this, th- th- this is what happened, whereas nothing even happened. So um, it, it really comes down to the attorneys and the doctors working together and coaching these claimants to file these claims. And then when we do the investigation and get the evidence, then they reach a roadblock and they're saying, oh, wait, well, can we not pursue a fraud finding? But you should have thought about that three months ago or two years ago when you decided to file the claim that was fraudulent. And um, one of the things that we've also noticed uh, last year is that the claimant side is starting to hire investigators. And we have seen this predominantly in situations where the, um, the same firm, the general liability firm, is handling the workers' compensation claim. So they're absolutely willing to uh, dish out a few extra dollars to do their own investigation. But that doesn't mean anything for us, except that we should continue with our investigative efforts. And something that I always say is do an investigation from the very first day, from the very first day of the accident or from the very first day The claimant is alleging that there was an accident. This way we get all of the facts, all of the tools, all of the equipment, the photographs, the witness statements, um, everything that we need to contest the claim before the story changes under the influence of the claimant's attorney. Um, So the key is do investigation the very first day and do ongoing investigation to um, get the upper hands um, over the claimant's investigation that they're doing now. So these are generally the trends we've seen last year. I know I've mentioned some of them in the past, but it's something that we continue to see. Uh, We're going to follow these again this year. Um, Particularly, we're going to pursue these fraudulent claims. Um, We've been seeing them come in from the very first, from from the very start. Or even as the years go by and the claim that you know the claimant is doing things um, that he's not supposed to be doing. Um, because, quite frankly, he's, he's just tired of sitting at home. He knows that he's not supposed to be sitting at home anymore like his attorney his doctors are telling him. Um, and then he's going out and he's working, he's doing these things. So those are the things we're keeping our eyes on. Um, as we get wins and um, even losses, we'll be sure to share them with you. We'll be sure, sure to share the lesson learned and uh, tactics that arise from them. So stay tuned for that. Uh, How do we combat the exploitation of New York labor laws? So the one thing, the the whole crux of this webinar series and what I do here as a defense attorney uh, handling these construction claims, it's collaboration between the workers' compensation and the general liability defense claims. Um, It's all the things I've talked about in this webinar, using the testimony, talking to each other, pursuing fraud, and so forth. The conducting the investigation, that's a way to uh, combat the exploitation, do it from the very first day, and using the fraud findings that you get on the workers' compensation side. All right, so that's all for today. I I hope that was um, a good overview of the New York Labor Law. Next month, we are going to talk about um, the impact of the New York workers' compensation claims in the civil cases and a little bit of an overview on, of the construction claims from the workers' compensation side also. The webinar is going to be on March 6th. It's always the first Monday of the month um, at noon. Uh, If you have any questions for today's webinar, feel free to send me an email. It's trasool at loisllc.com and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Um, If you'd like a copy of my handbook, please also send me an email and I'll get you a copy. Uh, Thank you, everyone. Have a great day, a great month, and I'll see you right here next month.